Welcome to the Not So Perfect Christian Life Podcast with Joy and Hannah. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Not So Perfect Christian Life Podcast. This week we are going to be looking at the topic of living life to the full and excitingly we have Simon Gillibo who's joining us this week and he is going to be sharing a bit of his story with us and what it's been like for him living radically but I am particularly excited because Simon was one of the preachers that I heard when I was a teenager so long ago at a Christian conference in Detling and I heard him speak on this particular topic and it really changed my life. It really made me think about how I follow Jesus and yeah, wanting to live a radical Christian life. So I'm super excited and looking forward to hearing what you have to say, Simon. So do you want to introduce yourself and share a bit about your story? Yeah, sure. Great to be with you, ladies. Um, So... I am now 49 years old. I'm married. I've got three teenagers, 17, 15, 13. So we'll get to that. But uh, I suppose my journey started, well, I gave my life to Jesus when I was about 15 and led um, probably quite a conflicted and common experience of, you know, I had a little drugs ring at school as well as leading the Christian union. So wasn't really (laughs) very consistent in my faith. Really got set on fire when, when I was 18, when I took a year out to South Africa a miserable time as an extreme extrovert, but that's where God became real. It's basically either you're going to sleep with farm women and get AIDS or you're going to get holy. It was totally isolated. It was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was pretty stark choices. And thank goodness I chose the better course there. Meant that I came back to university on fire. I went to Loughborough University, so passionate about our sports. I did languages. So why go to France and Germany in your third year when you go to the Central African Republic jungle for the French side of things? Yeah. Um, and Hamburg's red light district with tramps and alcoholics and prostitutes for the German side. So I had an amazing third year of university in which I experienced loads of, well, witchcraft and crazy demon stuff, uh, both in Africa and also in Hamburg's red light district, which is about the most evil street in Europe, you know, that or Amsterdam. Oh, wow. But but the interesting thing was in the, the Western worldview, that stuff wasn't really recognized at all as such. It was more of a tourist attraction, but it was so dark. Uh, but mm. funny enough, when we did street outreach, demons would ma- manifest very clearly and it was uh, it was full on. So I, I, I say that because that definitely sort of shaped my DNA, which is that the spiritual yeah. battle is very real and uh, it's, it's not neutral ground. And I came back to university on fire and finished, you know, finished that, went into a good job. And I suppose this is where, you know, if, if people know me, they know me for the Burundi connection because that's the last 25 years of my life. And and they have been amazing and they've, and they've been tough and they've been beautiful and they've been very fruitful. And that whole range of, you know, my favorite verses is Jesus mm. promises, I have come, you have life and life to the full. He didn't say necessarily yeah. long life. And I didn't think I'd have a long life. I thought I'd die by the age of 30. It was the most dangerous country in the world, Burundi, that he called me to. But anyway, how was I called to Burundi? <laughs> um, I, I was, so I was in this good job. And I, but I was praying a prayer saying, God, I will do anything. I'll go anywhere. So if we're talking about radical discipleship, rad, radical basically comes from the Latin radix, which means root, origin. So uh, I, I'd say, you know, we don't want to, don't want to become nut jobs and, you know, suicide bombers. That, that's, that's a type of radical. But yeah. radical just means gets the roots of origins of what Christianity was meant to be. So it's like looking at, yeah. you know, Jesus' followers in the, in the Bible and how they lived. And they were the, basically, once they'd experienced Pentecost, they'd experienced the risen Christ in their own lives, then they were, they were turbocharged. 
They're yeah. willing to go anywhere, do anything, <laughs> lay down their lives, get killed for it. And, and, and they saw the power of God in that process of surrender. So my surrender was, God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. By this stage, I'm 24. Uh, I don't want security, I said. I don't want security because that's a mixed blessing because when we're secure in and of ourselves, we don't need God. Yeah. And even so saying that, I think a whole lot of people are saying, yeah, well, that's a bit extreme. Um, but, you know, that, <laughs> is, that is true, you know. And any, yeah. and anything else we put our security in is, is actually essentially an idol. So I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. That was the prayer. I, I, I did this one-year Bible course, second last day of the Bible course, praying that prayer. A guy tracked me down in the city in London, Bishopsgate. I'd never met this bloke before, uh, received a scribble piece of paper, name number, ring this guy up, rang him up, and um, we met up, and I'd never, I'd never met him, I didn't know who on earth he was, and he said, my name's Robert DeBerry, I've been praying, I believe God <laughs> sent me to you, he wants you to go to Burundi and be involved in youth mission outreach. So my heart's thumping in my chest saying, God, is this some nut job or is this you? And uh, so give me... So I went back to my job and I said, God... Uh, I hang on a minute, Sam, can I ask you something? Sorry yeah, yeah. to interrupt. Can you just... Because we talk a bit on a podcast about hearing from God. So how did you discern whether that was nut job or God's... What was that? How did you make that decision? How did you yeah. know? Well, I, I mean, I didn't know at the time, but I went back to yeah. my job and I was in front of the computer. And I said, all right, God, I'll fast, I'll pray, I'll, I'll seek you. Yeah. And um, if that was you, then that will mean leaving family, friends, security, career, everything, going to a place where I might get killed and yeah. people did try to kill me. So give me a radical sign right now in front of the computer to justify a radical change of career. So that was my prayer. In front, I was in a marketing job that had nothing to do with Burundi. Uh, so give me a radical sign right now about Burundi. And the phone rang and I picked it up and the voice on the other end said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? And, uh, oh, I love it. So but that's how we knew that it was God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that was very clear. Yeah. And that's a, it's a good, you know, um, question to ask, Hannah, because, yeah, I think some people, when I share that story, they're like, well, I've been praying that prayer surrender. I've never had a phone call from God. And I say to them, look, you don't need a phone call from God to mm. be all in. You've just yeah. got to, you've just got to surrender your part and genuinely surrender because yeah. i think often we'll say oh I'll, I'll i'll follow you anyway lord so long as you give me a husband or so long as you pay the bills or so long as it's safe yeah and he says no yeah. no 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 no. whatever you're holding on to i often quote um c.s lewis says god can't bless us until he has us and when we try to keep an area of our life that is our own it's an area of death and in love he claims all there's no bargaining with him and that yeah. is really powerful because I think we all, we, we live a compartmentalized faith. We, we hold on to different bits, whether it's our sex life or our financial life or our concerns for our parents or, or you know, ambitions, desires, whatever. And he says, look, I've, I've got the best plan for you. Just trust me, whatever you're holding on to. It's festering, rotting death in love. He claims all, stop bargaining. And I was ripe, you know, because I was genuinely saying I didn't have a girlfriend, didn't have anything. I was a single, I was... Uh, I, I was available. I was saying, I will do anything. I'll go anywhere. And and he's like, it's that scripture, Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen mm. those whose hearts are fully I love committed to him. Fully mm. committed. So I love that because it's God's heart. He's like, he's looking around. He's looking at you, mm. you ladies in Durham and Birmingham, me and Bath right now. And he's like, He's looking around everywhere. He's like, who is up for it? Who doesn't mm. want to settle for a domesticated, tame, respectable religion, <laughs> religious Jesus? Who wants the live, unleashed, the raw, the radical? And uh, all I can say is that in response to that prayer, 
I've seen, I had the chance over 20 odd years to see, you know, a few hundred thousand people come to Jesus. It was yes. mind blowing, you know. Amazing. Ephesians 3, he's the God of the immeasurably more than all we could ask for or imagine. It hasn't been easy, it's been costly, but it's been beautiful. Oh, I've got so many questions. Yeah, to me ask too. From that. You, <laughs> you go first, Anna. <laughs> well, I've got, I, I want to know, well, maybe this is moving too far ahead because I clearly want to know a few more details about those hundreds of thousands of yeah. people and your experience in Burundi. But I also would quite like to know when you did then meet your wife, Liz, and how that fitted into this radical calling and how you worked that out between you as well of... Um, did she step into your calling? Had God been sort of speaking to her before you met her? How did that all sure. come together? Okay, well, so I had three years before I met her, and those three years were the nuttiest years of my life. That was 98 <laughs> to, to 1998, 2001. It was the most dangerous country in the world. Uh, I'd drive along roads, you know, one time 40 people got killed. I had a guy come to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He wrote me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. So it was quite extreme. Uh, but it was it was wonderful <laughs> wow. living uh, living expecting to die. And some people think, well, that must be a horrible way to live. But basically, each weekend, it was a guerrilla warfare. The capital was relatively safe. As soon as you left the capital, you're on the most dangerous roads in the world. And so when you prayed, right, for the next hour, Lord, we really need your protection. You know, you meant it. And, yeah, yeah. But, but it, I got to the stage of what is a biblical viewpoint of our life, which is uh, Philippians 1, 21, Paul writes, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, what shall I desire? I actually desire to depart, be with Christ, which is better by far, but convinced there's more work for me to do. I'll be around a bit longer. So it's just holding your life really loosely. Um, one time a colleague leant across with a glint in his eye as we, as we drove up those hills. He said, Simon, isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls yeah, us. Yeah, I remember that. That's lived with me for so many years, you saying that. Oh, so good. It I've just never heard it, up. but I love it. Yeah. Well, it frees, so you're freed up to live by fear and not by, sorry, by faith and not by fear and speaking yeah. into a context right now in the UK where we're shackled by fear on multiple yeah. levels. Yeah. But if yeah. you think you're going to die next week, how are you going to live today? It sharpens your, it sharpens everything about you. So, stuff doesn't matter people matter yeah in a a culture that's consumed by stuff here we need to hear that Uh, urgency over over apathy you know i I want to tell everyone that i know the 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 hope i have the the grace available in jesus um is keeping short accounts offering forgiveness receiving forgiveness not not holding on to Mm. any grudges uh, prioritizing mm. yeah people over stuff all the, all those things and so it was a very sort of heightened sense of reality so i had 3 years um really living like a turbocharged existence uh, which was unsustainable <laughs> frankly which is why i was called back after that preempting burnout guys called me back to england during that year back in england of of decompressing and processing uh, two important things happened i think one was that i got a, a, i think a more crystallized missiology or theology of mission which was that I didn't need to be bombing around like I was going to die every day. Like uh, yeah. it's like the, the, it's more important. Ephesians four is to equip God's people to do it. Yeah. So yeah. Wh- why not instead of me bombing around like headless chicken, seeing maybe ten thousand people come to Jesus? Why not create a thousand Burundian Simon Simones, multiply myself out, who are doing it, and that's what's happened. They're doing it right now. Hence the hundreds Amazing. of thousands being impacted. So that was one important thing. The other thing was that I did meet this girl. Um, called Lizzie Korf, and uh, it's uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it, 
I, no, I was going to tell the story. But it's, it's a bit <laughs> Before you do, Sam, I think we should, because no one can actually see this except yeah. for us, but I think it's worth noting for the listeners that you've got a big smile on your yeah, face I when know. you started speaking about your wife, <laughs> there. which is excellent. Yeah. Well, the problem is, it's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's an embarrassing story that uh, she, she's, oh, she's right. f- forbidden me to tell. This is okay. yet another context where I've blown it. Anyway, it was, it was quite, it was quite a funny, funny engagement story or getting together story. And uh, but the, the the proposal, well, we got together in England. I but she was like, uh, she'd never even heard of Burundi. What is Burundi? Is it a piece of cheese? But you know, it's about the least known country in the world. So I then went back to Burundi. She came out at Christmas, and we got engaged on. Lake Kivu, I was delirious with malaria, and uh, I said, "Are you ready to be a young widow?" Um, so, oh my goodness! So you know that's a, that's a different kind of proposal, but yeah. you know, you, you're asking about what it looks like, and does she buy into the court? She bought into Burundi. She bought into the call. She bought into the cost. Um, mm. I didn't. I didn't uh, soft pedal the message. I said, "Are you up for this?" And then, and where that the next question that naturally comes out of that is that you know you're. Um, Lizzie's bought into it, but the children haven't bought into it. Yeah, that was my question. Um, and and so we have these three precious little lives, and they are so vulnerable. Uh, mm. But what I say to those legitimate questions on that one is that you know we are called to live by faith and not fear, and that was yeah. definitely put to the test. Come, so we had peace basically the thirteen year war of which I experienced the last seven years of that war, and then peace came for ten years, two thousand five, two thousand fifteen, then two thousand fifteen. So we've now got a five, seven, nine-year-old. And uh, it kicks off burning barricades just a few hundred yards from our house, gunfire, landing shells. But we chose to become Burundians. So we are five of only about 10 white Burundians in the world. And we're like, this is our nation. An incarnation means you stay. You yeah, don't go. Yeah. And, when th- and when things get rough, the, the expats and the, the missionary community and whatever, the white people, they just leave. And you vote with your feet. And I said, well, we are not leaving. And Lizzie was in agreement with that. But I was, I was, we were counting the cost. Is, is it going to be traumatized kids? Is it going to get there's a chance of rape, of, you know, serious uh, destruction? People were, lots of people were getting killed. Um, but what happened beautifully is that uh, Josiah, age five, swallowed some popcorn into his lung. And <gasps> so he's breathing like this. <gasps> and he needed an emergency surgery. So they had to fly out of the country. Thousands of people praying. So actually, Lizzie left with the kids, but it wasn't a fear thing. It was like, they needed surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they went out and, 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 and the day of his operation, thousands of people praying back in England, the day of his operation, <coughs> he coughed and out came this kernel uh, from his lung, which doctors have said that's impossible. Uh, wow. And it was like God wow. just orchestrated that they got out. But it wasn't a fear thing. And we were saying we're staying. And basically, if we'd left, most people would have left because we're sort of the community leaders of the expats, I suppose. So fast forward a few months, again, the faith and fear thing. I come back from Burundi and I, I asked Burundi, Burundi, our top Burundian guys, who are not your average Joes, they're like complete dynamite, you know, heroes of faith. <laughs> and I said, shall I bring the family back? And they said, don't you dare bring the family back. It's way too dangerous. Apart from one of them. Uh, one guy said, yeah, bring them back. But the majority consensus, my you know, 10, 15 to 1 was don't bring them back. So I come back to Lizzie. I say, look, let's just pray and see the Lord whether we should go back. That day, 163 people were killed in the streets, um, you know, shot in the head, very blatant, brazen uh, quashing of rebellion. Some of these guys we've been working with trying to broker the peace. So the day, the day we start praying, seeking the Lord about returning is the most fearful day since the 90s. Um, but at the mm. end of our week, weeks praying, we just felt a peace, both of us from God, to go back. But we were in Southampton at the time. 
and where my in-laws were. And, and uh, I said, Lord, this is the heaviest decision I have ever had to make as a husband and a father, taking kids back into a war zone. Yeah. If, anything, if we go back and anything happens to them, then no one, you guys will never forgive me. No one in England is going to forgive me. You know, think it's completely reckless and irresponsible and it's cost you, you know, people, your dependents' lives. So Lord, Lizzie and I both sense it's the right thing to do, but we'd love it if, in your mercy, you just gave us a, a, a you know a sign yeah. uh, to confirm yeah. it. So that was my prayer, my last prayer. Walking yeah. in for a week, praying. We walk along. I'm walking along a path in on Southampton Common uh, by the avenue, and uh, another geezer's walking along another path, and our paths merge at the exact same moment. And this guy had been a missionary in Pakistan. He had death threats, like I had death threats. He had child kidnap issues. You know, all the sort of stuff that I'd. I was contemplating returning to and going through. And I was like, Lord, within a 500-mile radius, you could not have handpicked one man who'd been through the exact same stuff to walk <laughs> along, to, to be on that path, that exact same moment, to speak faith into me. And I was like, thank you, Lord, bring it on. We oh. went back. We, we went back and it was such an important thing because incarnation is staying. It's not fleeing. And we choose faith over fear. And we got back and people were like, oh, thank you for coming. But also, actually, do you know what? It, it was pretty calm and there wasn't much much drama after that wow. so so yeah and, and it's important for our kids to develop their own stories and you know if we, yeah. if we if we model a dull respectable tame safe faith in the suburbs and by the way that's not dissing people in the suburbs i'm in the suburbs right now but um <laughs> but if if we model you know zero risk taking all in our comfort zones not stepping out then you know what are the kids going to be attracted to, and, yeah. and, and I and they they need their own stories. And by the way, I'm saying that at the moment with three kids who aren't exactly firebrand evangelists. You know, we've had some really rough times, which we will come to because we want to speak about the nitty gritty. But yeah, no, it's it, it, they were wild times, and we saw you know, I mean, gazillions of stories that you know, some stories I actually hesitate to share with with Western audiences because I think we've got such a a narrow worldview. I don't mean, you know, I, I mean, in the sense that we struggle to believe some of these miracles because they're yeah, so dramatic. Yeah. Because oh, but we, give us some. I still want to hear them. I want to hear some of these amazing things so you can blow our minds with what God's done. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you sort of um, three out of fives rather than five out of fives because the five <laughs> out of fives, you, your, your viewers just think I'm a nut job. I'll lose credibility. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've, for the last 18 years, we've sent out each summer, we send out evangelists. So, you know, when I saw you as a teenager, I'm mm -hmm. guessing, um, Joy, it, it was probably, you know, I've said three, th we've done this the last three years. Now we've done it for the last 18 years. I don't know how old you are, but you know, that's a long time, 18 years of yeah. sending out 750 people for 14 days, eight hours a day. We reckon that through that outreach, we've seen 190,000 people come to Jesus. But any miracle in the book of Acts that I read about, I can pretty much give an equivalent miracle. So, you know, let's talk about Acts 19. Was it Acts 19 when they're talking in Ephesus about there? Um, and uh, the great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Remember that one? So that mm. Paul arrives and they're threatening the trade of... Uh, mm of this guy that's making these these statues of Artemis. Yeah. And so he falsely accuses them, they get put in prison. So our guys are doing that in Burundi. They, they, um, this witch doctor gets converted. He gets six of his witch doctor mates. They all get converted. They burn their charms. So the people that are making the charms feel threatened. So they, um, they accuse our guys. They got arrested and put in the police cell for the night. So just the same as an accident. And afterwards, <laughs> likewise, they were released innocent the next day. And they came out. And they're standing talking to the policeman that can see they're completely innocent. And suddenly a tornado just 
comes right up to them out of nowhere. And in a tornado, in, in the Brunian culture, a tornado uh, is, is a demon manifesting, it's a python or whatever. And a tornado came up and, and, and the policemen ran off, the believers stood their ground, the, the tornado came right up to them, split in two and destroyed both houses on either side of them. Now, that is a bit, that is a bit nuts, isn't it? Oh my goodness. And, and then the police came yeah. back and said, who is the, you know, who is this Jesus? Uh, well. right, so that's a bit too, maybe that's a bit too nuts for some of you. Um, a, a slightly more tame one no, would be. Like no, that, that was great. No, keep it at that level. Yeah. Let's stick All at right. that level. So our guys show up again. This lady says, F off, you're not speaking to our village. And then she says, all right, hang on, I'll let you talk to our village, but only if you heal this demon-possessed girl. So they gather around the demon-possessed girl, they start praying over in Jesus' name. All those demons identified and cast out. And she was set free. And on the spot, that lady a few moments earlier has turned into F off, is now on her knees with 20 people giving their lives to Christ. Or the witch doctor who starts doing his chants when he sees our guys show up and then one of them says, in Jesus' name, and he, he falls down under the power of God and he comes to a few moments later, said, could you come back in two days? So two days later, they show up and he's assembled the whole village. And at the preaching of the gospel, I got a picture of him burning his, all his charms in a fire, submitting to the highest power. He gives his life to Christ. 50 people in that village give their lives to Christ. Yeah. Or last one, maybe, Innocent, a friend of mine. He's got a healing ministry. Um, he's a young lad, skinny as, you know, skinny rake. He fasts <laughs> and prays so much. But um, he um, had these two girls. This, again, it was on this outreach. And these two ladies came. They were mute. So, you know, essentially made signs. Can you pray for me? So he took them around the corner into the side chapel. And he said, God, I am willing to pray in this side chapel for three days to, for us to not leave if you will only have mercy and see these precious ladies released. Mm. And he didn't have to wait three, th- uh, three days. After 10 minutes, <laughs> they started speaking. So he took them around the corner. Aww. The church choir <laughs> the church choir was still practising. And he Aww. interrupted the church choir practice. And he said, excuse me, I've got you two new choir members. And they, <laughs> and, and they said, that is a sick joke. That is not funny because they knew them. Oh, and, and, yeah. And then, and then he, so he turned to the ladies and said, ladies, have you heard what they said? I think it's a sick joke. Is it a sick joke? What do you want to say? Gave them the microphone. La! And they sang. And <laughs> oh, you know, people fell to their knees in tears. So, you know, they're, they're, those are beautiful stories. They're life-transforming stories. I'm going out next month. Um, I will hopefully, I might see uh, Louis. Louis, two years ago, was blind. He was a beggar. He was a widower. Uh, his kids had abandoned him, so he was a beggar in the street, complete loser. And he came on our outreach, a bit like Bar- blind Bartimaeus, and he called out and he reached out and he was he was completely, completely healed, which meant that his you know his kids come to faith because you can't deny stories, can you? They they knew yeah. he was blind, now he's healed. Yeah. And then last Christmas we gave him a few pigs and set up a pigs business. I've got a photo of me arm in arm with him. He's found some wrinkly old babe to get married to. He's married. He's happy, and <laughs> you know the gospel the gospel changes everything. So. Yeah. I've got gazillions of those stories and it's just, uh, it's powerful. And, and you know, what some people say, why do miracles happen so often in Africa? Uh, why not more here? Well, I mean, that's a really difficult question to answer, mm. but there's a, there's a few ways of approaching it. Incidentally, one bloke who I took with me to America preaching in he we were asked that question in a, in a Q&A type setup. And he his answer was interesting because he said, by the way, we don't see miracles the whole time in Africa, but the time we do see the miracles is when we get outside the church building. We take uh-huh. the message to, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I would say that 
back to answering the question I've just posed, you know, part of it is is the the, the faith levels. You know, I, I've only ever met one African atheist. You know, they are they are pr- pretty much all brought up with a theistic worldview. They know God's real. They know Satan's real. They've been living in fear with the witch doctor. So they're very aware of the supernatural, engaged in the supernatural. Mm. There's a high level of faith. There's much less cynicism. And, you know, unbelief and cynicism are a massive blockage to us seeing, yeah. seeing the miraculous. Uh, then there's the the reality of desperation. You know, none of us in the West has had to pray genuinely, I don't think, give us today our daily bread because there's always the Salvation Army or some food bank that will bail mm. us out at some level out there. You know, there's, there isn't. Yeah. You know, there's the hungriest, literally it's the hungriest country, the poorest country in the world. Um, and then, you know, access to healthcare. There's not many doctors around. So, you know, he is the great physician and there's, you know, there's no yeah. NHS to call up. So I'm just going to cry out to God. So it's an incomplete dissatisfactory answer but those are sort of some of the factors yeah. that would lead to a more fertile soil for there to be yeah. miracles in 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 the african context than here yeah on that note i was going to ask you actually when you were talking about it earlier because um just it's quite timely with some experiences and discussions on the estate around here about the demonic what have been your experiences in this country? So they're obviously amazing stories that you've just shared. Like what has been your experience in this country? And what do you kind of, do you feel like there's quite a difference in how things operate here spiritually um, and demonically? And how have you addressed that or confronted things in this country? Just, I think I've said a lot of words and not really conveyed my meaning, but do you kind of get the gist of what I'm asking? Yeah, I mean, I, I... there's a gift of discernment uh, there's a gift of being able to you know exercise demons i don't particularly feel i've got that gift i have come across demons in 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 the west i mean that they're they're everywhere right but i just think that in the west satan is is he's the father of lies he's the master deceiver he comes to steal kill destroy when he lies he's speaking his own language that's that's, that's all quoting scripture and so if he wants to deceive us he loves it in the west if we just see him as a guy with horns and a pitchfork a laughable caricature because then we don't take him seriously and the two dangers that he wants us to fall into is to either not take him seriously at all or to take him very seriously and get involved in him so my mate david was in a a ouija board session um this is this is what pushed him towards giving his life to christ so he's doing ouija board and he's with three big rugby lab mates and at some stage they said right we've had enough and um, so the, the the glass that's, you know, organising the letters should go back to its spot and that's the end of the, the game. They're only treating it as a game. And then the, the glass refused and carried on doing stuff. And, and, mm. and so he took the glass and tried to move it and he couldn't. He was moved by it. His whole body was moved by it. And then the four mm. men, young lads, uh, put their hand on the glass and tried to move it and it moved all four of them it, you know, there's, there's, there's evil supernatural power going on there, and that was part of his 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 journey of coming to faith. Yeah, I was when I was at university. I had a mate of mine who invited me back for a spliff. I mean, he invited me back for a coffee, but I had long hair, so he thought you know that was his code word for a spliff. Um, <laughs> and as I we thought all, you were going to say it was yours, <laughs> no, <laughs> you as, pulled it out. <laughs> I'm going to be careful now. I don't like people for a coffee. So, yeah, so he was new on our course. He just arrived and I was the most, I mean, he looked like the living dead. I mean, you could tell he was on drugs, but I, I, I I looked maybe like, I mean, I was, I was a hippie back then. Hard to believe my lack of hair now. Um, (laughs) But um, so he invited me back for a coffee, for a split for coffee on the way back. 
he was clear he wanted to go for a spliff, but he said, I saw you in the bar last night, but there were all those weirdo questionnaire, Christians doing their questionnaires on people. I said, well, hang on, that, that, I was one of them. <laughs> and uh, he recognised that as a weird meeting. His name was Simon as well. His dad had had a radical uh, conversion and had become a sort of itinerant preacher. And this guy, Simon, had gone into promiscuous sex, um, extreme Dungeons and Dragons. And I say extreme because I think superficially it can be a fun game, but you can go into a dark part of that. Uh, sort of occultic stuff, um, music, some really dark music. Consequently, he had, he had been multiply demon-possessed. And what was beautiful was that he, rang up to, he ran up to me after the Easter holidays. And uh, if I, I knew... He was a new creation. I knew he was mm. to Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He didn't have to say anything because he was transformed. And what had happened was that his dad and a mate on Easter Sunday, beautifully symbolically, had prayed over him for five hours whilst they identified and wrestled and prayed and took took authority and gain the victory over all those successive demons that were identified and mm. cast out in Jesus' name. The outworking of that was that the following week, Adam Groves saw the difference in Cy Collins' mm. life, gave his life to Jesus. The next week, James Deere saw the difference. <laughs> so do you see what I mean? Satan overplayed his hand. Yeah. And, and yeah. actually, it's much better here for him. He just loves us. He loves us to, if he can take us out by just getting us to binge watch our lives away, you know, yeah. box sets, worshipping at the, the altar of Netflix, yeah. uh, being, you know, worshipping comfort and being distracted to death on social media. You know, that's way more effective, yeah. isn't it? Watching yeah. absolute tosh, watching yeah. the, the lies of the likes of Andrew Tate, you know, whatever. You know, people are just being fed so much filth. And Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And you know what? I think even Christians, we're drinking sewage half the time. When I was in South Africa, I'm a year out. There were two water tanks on this massive farm. I was on one side of the farm. And all, most of the workers uh, were on the other side of the farm. And suddenly they started all, all, all started getting sick. And the reason they eventually, after five weeks, they checked the water tanks and five baboons had got in the water tanks and drowned. Oh, and they were drink no. they were drinking mouldy baboon water. Oh no. And and you know, Jeremiah too says, you know, you have you have hewn, you've crafted yourself broken cisterns. And Christians yeah. even wake up, you are just feeding yourself filth. And you know, what's this doing to my heart? It's something yeah. you want to ask in any situation. Proverbs 5, 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. We can't hope to live passionate, radical, full-on, surrendered lives. If we if we just watch filth, if we listen to filth, if we waste our time distracted to oblivion, and and we just lose our cutting edge. The Holy Spirit who lives in us is holy. And and yet, actually, if you harden your heart, if you, you just slowly get taken out and, and you know, so, the Holy Spirit tells us, that, you know, we've got a God-given conscience that he's saying, don't watch that, don't listen yeah. to that, blah, blah, blah. And if we harden our hearts, eventually we just stop hearing the voice of God. Yeah. And I come out, it's funny, I've just got a message from a mate who's returned to, to, um, to the UK from working overseas. And, oh, have I got it right in front of me now? It's what he says is so, oh, I've lost it. He says he's, his family just so confused at sort of how oh, distracted and, and yeah. taken out he sees people yeah. in the English church, yeah. just lost the plot. 
What do you think, like, radical living looks like for a Christian who isn't called to Burundi or isn't called to be a missionary abroad and is just in sort of your typical job? Because I guess what we're hoping from this is that people start to live their lives radically. But what does that look like for sort of someone who hasn't been called to do what you've been called to do? Yeah, yeah, great question. And, and, and as I share my story, I always say that, you know, I'm not on a recruiting drive to Burundi. You've got to work out what your discipleship journey looks like, where you are. For most people, it is where you are. But are you even asking the question, am I in the right place? And, and so part of that surrender journey is, Lord, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. If you want me here, I want to live with a level of intentionality and not be reactive, but be proactive Proactive yeah. people take the weather with them where they're going. Reactive people just respond. And and yet we are responsible. We're, we're called to take the initiative. And uh, and so what does it look like? Well, for me, coming back from Burundi after 20 years out there, I was like, how am I not going to become tame yeah. and respectable? <laughs> and and, and there the, are the various things. I mean, when, I look, when you look back at the New Testament church, you know, they had this piddly little sect of passionate believers but what, what's interesting is that, you know, Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist, did this fantastic book called The Rise of Christianity. And he, he's not a Christian. He just applied sociological uh, theory uh, to uh, his historical research. And he basically worked out that within three centuries, so 300 years, this marginal sect had kicked the Roman Empire's butt to the extent that over half the empire were not just nominal, they were evangelical Christians on a passionate mission to spread the kingdom of God. And the vehicle for that transformation, which is mind-blowing, so that when Emperor Constantine declared the, the Roman Empire Christian, mm -hmm. that, was, that wasn't because, well, some say he might have had a vision or something, but it was political expediency. He'd already lost. They tried persecution. They tried to blitz and nuke mm -hmm. and obliterate the church. It hadn't worked. Now, what was God's chosen... Uh, sovereign vehicle for the explosive growth of the church you know from acts 8 onwards persecution came and it wasn't you know joy running that way hannah this way me, me, you know it was it was you you moved in what was called an oikos it was like the extended family so it'd be you know the nuclear family but with a few aunties uncles cousins a few servants whatever and you know you fit 12 to 20 people would move that way and they would incarnate and embody kingdom values they'd model it it was so beautiful they would take in the waifs and strays you know during during times of way worse than covid you know not with a mortality rate of 0. something percent but where plagues of 30 yeah. percent you know, where people were getting absolutely wiped out. The Christians would just go out on the streets and be willing to willing to die in terms of incarnating those values. So what does it look like? And I think, you know, in mentioning COVID, I think the church had a pretty ropey, you know, lack of faith, you know, a lot of fear, yeah. you know, during yeah. COVID. And like, we know we need to be out there. This is this weird for such a time as this. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, what does it look like for me now? It's like, well, how am I not going to be tamed? Well, I'm on a street that 85 houses. That's where he's put me. I've been here now three and a half, is it? Three and a half years. So six to seven in the morning, I get up and pray. And I have I've probably missed in those three and a half years under 10 days of praying and a blessing outside every single one of those houses. You know, this is my patch. And yeah. maybe 230 people on my street, I know the names of 180. Um, you know, just knowing them, praying them by name, yeah. sort of throwing the best parties, uh, inviting people around, yeah. being, be, being an open house. Um, so the church I go to, it's on an estate about 
600 yards away as the crow flies. It's a, it's a, it's a rough area. I mean, we live in a quite a posh area, but there's the, we want a rough area going there. Just we're doing, doing door to door. We are your local church, but we are, we're called St. Andrew's Community Church. We're actually your church. And do you know that we've got this on a Monday? We've got, you know, free meal on Tuesday. We've got food bank, whatever. We've got all these things and we're literally here for you. And then I'll share this picture. And, you know, if you're listening, get your phone out and uh, go to Android. Oh, no rats. Go to Android or um, you know, whatever and uh, download Jesus at the Door. Oh, that's what we use. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Nice one. Well, Scott Mack, he's amazing, isn't he? So, so what, well, what's brilliant is that all the more when you, you know, people freak out about doing door to door. But when you do a door to door on cold, it, that is difficult. Mm. But when you're in the community and you're saying, we yeah. are literally here for you, yeah. then you're not going to get any negative because, oh, yeah, yeah, my kids come to you. Oh, my kids come to the mums and tots uh, with me. And, and and then on the back of that in relationship and they know you care, then showing, sharing Jesus at the door. Here, you know, have you seen this picture before? Do you pray? This is Jesus knocking at the door of your heart and, you know, the hands on the inside and you can open it. It's invitational. And then so we've we've got... 974 houses on our estate so far we've knocked on and we've 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 stopped we've stalled it for winter as in because people don't want to be having a conversation letting you know heating the street so that's a seasonal thing when it's a bit warmer but the intentionality of having a database we love all these people we want to know their problems what we can pray for yeah. we want to invite them what's relevant to them and and, yeah. and seeing them you know being drawn in and blessing them and praying for them um, for me, yeah, a part of me not letting myself becoming comfortable is, um, is yeah, taking people out of the streets just because that is uncomfortable. Yeah. But you know mm-hmm. what? We've taken people out on the streets and just about all of them. Well, I mean, even on the estate, let's say 16 of our church of 50 came out with me. I think I think everyone, if not everyone, just about all of them came out and said, oh, that was so much easier than I thought. And that was so much better. And it was just wonderful. Yeah. And I love it when, you know, this... I mean, Scott McNamara, who started Jesus at the Door, he quotes Barner, which is that 4% of followers of Jesus in England have ever led someone to the Lord, yeah. which means that we're not very good at it. 96% have not. Yeah. Now, listen, if you're listening right now, don't feel condemned by that statistic, but yeah. if you if you download Jesus at the Door and watch a few yeah. YouTube videos and have the courage to go for it, listen, I took out my first time in Bath, I took out 24 people in the streets, and two of those, no, two, 22, two of those 22 after an hour came back and said, we just joined the 4%. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. They'd let, they'd let their <laughs> first people, they literally led their first person to the Lord. Both of them had been followers of Jesus for 20, for 30 years. Yeah. And one lady, Rachel, as she walked home, she led a second person to the Lord. In that in that month, she led five people to the Lord. Amazing. So That's it's wonderful. an equipping tool, which I, I would absolutely rave about. Yeah. So go on, you've listened, yeah. I've, I've said it, but download Jesus at the door on your phone. You've got yeah. a picture of, and then it's absolutely brilliant. How do you... That's, it's interesting though, isn't it? You've talked about like being in a war-torn country and all those experiences. In terms of like your own faith and like relationship with Jesus, they're obviously quite extreme um, circumstances and things to go through. But then you're talking about your kids and it sounds like that's more painful in some ways. Would you say... Mm. That it has been and then would you say it's been like, um, although you've been through all these crazy things, that that's been a bigger challenge for you personally or? Yeah, not, I, mean, I don't know. Definitely, definitely personally. I mean, because, you know, they, they, they're, they're your first, you know, your mm. closest, your first ministry. Yeah. Really. yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, I am clinging. I mean, today, I don't know how many times I have said to myself, Isaiah 26, verse 3. Oh, yeah, I love that verse. I cling to that one. Yeah, he will keep, Mm. you will keep in perfect peace, in shalom, shalom. 
you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, Simon, you've got to practice what you preach. And, you know, perversely, because we're kind of high profile, I think, a lot of some of my mates have said, you know, I'm not happy that's happened to you, but it gives me an encouragement, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I'm yeah. like, well, this is going to be part of their story. Uh, it's going to be part of our story, you know, because if you've got, it's a bit like when we had, we, we had, we had two perfect kids in terms of sleeping. And I'm going to be really controversial for those who are doing, doing parenting who know know these parents books. But we were Gina Ford babies, and and <laughs> our, our kids, our kids on Gina Ford slept like clockwork the first two. Then the third one, Josiah came along, and he was just getting into the perfect groove of seven till seven <laughs> after ten weeks when um, he got bronchiolitis, and so he never got it. And God, I think God gave us that bronchiolitis because otherwise we would have been the most smug, arrogant <laughs> parents because because we're like what a bunch of losers you people that have got still you know you're not <laughs> why don't you gonna, just gonna, do this <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean you, you know we you need knocks you only grow through adversity and that is a massive challenge i was reading a book yeah. recently yeah it's a challenge of the western church because we are all about comfort and the, yeah. the book the line that yeah. struck out to me is that comfort is the least fertile soil for spiritual growth oh it's so true and we are and we are in a culture which absolutely at every level is seeking comfort and we are I am pretty confident in saying this. We are living in the least resilient generation that has ever lived, mm. literally ever, yeah. because it's post-war for most of us. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been a constant economic growth. It's been, you know, you've had National Health Service, you've had people, you know, social security being provided for the, and largely prosperity, certainly on a relative scale. And... And uh, just seeking after comfort. And so that's why, mm. uh, you know, we've been just so knocked by by COVID and we're being so knocked yeah. at every level of mental health and that sort of thing. And that's not yeah, to make people yeah. feel bad about it. It's the reality yeah, of the soil yeah. we've been birthed in. But we need to recognize that. And if you look at the scriptures, my goodness, Jesus, you know, he wasn't, it didn't give a soft sell, did it? Luke 9, 23, he said, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. We are more than conquerors. I wrote a book called More Than Conquerors, A Call to Radical Discipleship. You did, yeah. I've got it on my shelf. Well, that's Romans 8, 37, more than conquerors. But it's not a gung-ho triumphalism. It's the reality that verse 37, more than conquerors, comes after verse 35, where Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness danger sword no in all these things we are more than conquerors so it's 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 it's, you know if you are cruising listener if you are cruising along right now and you've got no issues then you are not engaged in the kingdom of god because if you if you are living for jesus then he we've got an enemy and he hates us and he's going to be doing his best uh to 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 take us out and so that's why we need to pray that's why we need to fast that's why we need people around us uh, the African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. That's mm. our individualistic yeah. culture. But if you yeah. want to go far, go, go together. together. And yeah. we are more than conquerors because we do it together. We need each other. I, you know, we trumps me. Um, we can go further together. And, and yeah, in terms of discipleship, accountability, you need a group of a few people that you can say, yeah, I watched porn last night and I'm really struggling with this or I've been bitching about this person and I, I feel, you know, whatever. So that it's not a, a work salvation, but it's a holding each other to account and being real so that we don't 
these spectacular sort of people falling, you know, even people we really looked up to, like Ravi Zacharias, yeah. it's because yeah. basically they got took, they got took, they got taken out. They got yeah. taken out through being isolated. My most common sermon in Bar- if I'm ever given a shot at a group of people would be three things you need to have in place. If you're going to last the race, you've got to stay close to Jesus, you've got to stay close to his word, and you've got to stay close to each other. And if any of those mm-hmm. ones drops, you're shafted. Yeah. Stay close mm-hmm. to Jesus, stay close as we're, stay close to each other. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Great. <laughs> wow. Are we finishing there or do you have any more questions? Or can I just ask one question actually, which you may feel like you've covered, but how do you set up your relationship with God to sort of sustain you in this radical living? Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's just time spent with him, isn't it? So I... Mm. I don't literally put on Jesus goggles each morning, but I <laughs> I use that picture of, you know, he's the first person I talk to in the morning. He's the last person I talk to at night. And and every, you know, it's, it's, I suppose talking about Jesus goggles is a bit like Brother Lawrence, you know, that 400-year-old book, Practicing the Presence of God. It's just Hannah seen, loves that book. She's put it on every my, podcast well, we've done. It. So she's now socially <laughs> beaming here. <laughs> yeah. So just, you know, seeing everything through the lens of Jesus. That means that, yeah. you know, was it Smith Wigglesworth says, said yeah. that? I've never never prayed more than half an hour in a row, but I've never gone half an hour without praying. Mm-hmm. So you're just praying. You're praying as you're talking to people, as you're walking past people, you're blessing them. If you just got that... Jesus goggles on the whole time you're seeing through his lens. Then you, you, you got that conscious awareness of him the whole time. Then you're going to live, you'll be living discipleship. But, you know, I, I'm very into scripture memorization. I mean, you know, you're spending time in the word in the morning, whatever. That's my prayer walk is an hour in the morning. It's just not about, you know, I don't want people to feel guilty because I can't, can't spend an hour in, you know, but, but, but I, I can't pray for an hour, but I can if I'm walking. And, uh, you know, I do Lectio 365. Some of you got that app in the morning as I'm walking and then I'm praying outside those 85 houses. And then I get on, I'm praying for all the villages in the area. And you have different ways of praying. You've got your prayer lists. You're praying for people. And, and you know, and yeah. There's, um, and then, yeah, the important thing about with Jesus at the door is, 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 is having an outflow as well in terms of sharing your faith. Some of us were stuck in Christian bubbles. And, you know, when, when you share your faith, it does you, your soul so much yeah, good. And, you know, that's obedience as well. We, we're called to do it. So I hope yeah. there's something helpful there. That's wonderful. Yeah, loads helpful there. Can I just ask before you finish? I just wondered, like, you know, you speak so wonderfully about Jesus. He's obviously someone you love dearly. And I just wondered, I'm sure you've learned so many lessons along the way, but I just w- wondered what are a couple of gems that you've learned about him over the years that you've just found really breathtaking about him what are those lessons you've learned about him that just yeah it's great stun you mm, good question um well i mean one of my mantras in in life is everything is relationship so jesus i mean the godhead models perfect relationship but if we want to be fruitful in life uh the reason our ministry has been so fruitful is that we're, we're just all about relationship and 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 again i said we trumps me but but you know, most people, it's they're competitive. Yeah. They see the cake yeah. as this big, uh, and uh, so I got the big, get the biggest like slice of the cake. I'm like, no, let's get together. We can build a way bigger cake. And you know, to give you a story on that one, you know, in 2015 it kicked off in Burundi, and uh, again after 10 years of peace, and the church went to ground. Now in 1993, the previous genocide. Someone wrote a tract after after the genocide. Said, "Where did the people of God go?" So mm. basically, the church failed in 1993. Went to ground in fear. So 2015 is kicking off, burning barricades. Literally, I got together our key people, 
which basically we support now we support 25 organizations and it's, just, it's the dream team of the best leaders in the country raising them up to change the nation i got at that time we i got to about 15 of us maybe 12 of us and i we had the holiest meeting of my now of my life with them we went around the table said look the country's going to the dogs are they going to write a tract in 2015 where do the people of god go no they're not because of us we went around the table yeah. saying we went yeah. around the table saying who's up for this you know we're all married we've all got kids yeah. um, you know are we willing to die for our nation so it was so holy. Everyone was in. And we started this thing called Christian Initiatives for Peace. And uh, we said, you're the best at social media campaigns and counteract all the lies going on. You're the best at addressing the, the radio and TV. You're the best at the Christian youth. You're the best at militias. You're the best at... And we, and we divvied it up. And, and That's it brilliant. was so beautiful. And <laughs> basically, we diffused what was going on. And uh, and we could do it because it's all about relationship. And in a very yeah. low, almost zero trust culture, we had met for the previous five years for monthly breakfast. We'd have spousal retreats. We knew and prayed for each other's kids. Yeah. And so everything is about relationship. And, mm-hmm. and that'd be right at the heart yeah. of my, my DNA and, and sort of kingdom, capital K, not small K, church, capital C, not small C. And your victory is my victory. And we celebrate together and we can do more <laughs> working together. And and that is literally nation shaping. I don't know. It's hard to say, hard to quantify because people were talking about maybe another genocide. I didn't think there's going to be a genocide, but hundred you know, more than hundreds were being killed. Uh, but you know, for example, one of our two of our guys, a Hutu and a Tutsi, were called in by the military. The military, the keepers of the peace, they were called in by the generals. R two, and we went in. And at the end of the day, the military, who had been guns at the ready along ethnic lines against each other, were now reunited at the end of that day. And wow. the, gen- the general said, you need to go through every barrack in the country showing that message. I mean, you can't measure that, that influence. Amazing, yeah. But nation shaping. Um, and yeah, and we're in it for the long haul. And I'd say, don't overestimate, yeah. don't overestimate what you think you can do in a year, but don't underestimate what you can do in 10 yeah. So we're in yeah. it for the long haul. So sometimes, you know, right now I may be sort of caught up in a pretty dark place and I'm like, oh, this is awful. Uh, but, we, <laughs> but, you know, even in the context of building disciples, you know, in 10 years' time, I trust I look back and I have three fantastic kids on fire for the Lord. But as I look back at ministry terms, you know, sometimes it's like totally depressed as, you know, whatever was happening, you know, someone forged my signature and nicked 15 grand off me. Or, you know, that was, oh. well, that was one sucker punch oh, yeah. or, or being falsely oh. accused. Or, or I spent, you know, I spent two years in bed with sort of, well, not in bed in the end. I gave up being in bed because it was, but it was chronic fatigue. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, you can be caught in a rut as some of our listeners will be right now and just think, oh, this is awful. But yeah. don't, over, don't overestimate what's happening in this season, but don't underestimate yeah. what's happening looking back at the long haul. And I can look yeah. back at two decades in Burundi and see hundreds of thousands of life impacted. And we built the best conference center in the country, which you know, is a $5 million operation employing 50 people and lifting all those families out of poverty. And we've got thousands in microfinance. I mean, lift, prostitutes that have left prostitution, street kids that are now in healthy jobs, uh, the unreached people group being reached, five schools we built, all the best schools in their own province, two orphanages, medical centers. I mean, I mean, the list goes on it is absolutely gorgeous <laughs> but if you'd asked me in 2006 I, you know when I was like going through a lean spot oh, this is awful I'm just going to give up no we're in it for the long haul uh, and we will get to the end of our lives hear. and we'll be able to say with Paul you know when he's handing on the baton to to Timothy I fought the good fight I've run the race I've kept the faith and now it's in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord will award to me on the day not just to me but to all those who are longing for his appearing that's you that's me That's you, listener. God bless you. 
Great. Thank you so much, Simon. Thank you for everything that you shared with us. I hope everyone listening found that really helpful. Um, Simon, how can we catch up with you? How can we follow you with the stuff that you're doing if we're, we want to? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, greatlakesoutreach.org is our charity and we send out loads of good news stories through that. If you want to be in touch with me, it's Simon at greatlakesoutreach.org. And I do this podcast which just blasts people with good news stories. It's called Inspired with Simon Gilbo. So if you go on Spotify, iTunes, Inspired with Simon Gilbo, you'll get a, an interview a week of just turbocharged faith. That'd be great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. God bless you, beauties. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics, please email questions at the not so perfect Christian life.com.